Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word speaks life. So we pray that as we come into your words, that you give us ears that are ready to listen, minds that are clear from distractions, and a heart ready to be stirred and transformed. Amen. So have you ever had to face a consequence of your actions? Maybe you can think of a time when you're young and much more carefree. Uh, Maybe you got a detention from school for skipping it. Uh, Or maybe you broke a bone because you thought you were invincible. Or maybe more recent, where the simple things like staying up to watch one episode of that show results in your fourth coffee of the day. Um, Or it may be that you wanted to skip traffic and you get fined for being in the bus lane. Um, I don't think I have to do much convincing to say that um, all our decisions in life uh, will come with an effect. Some may be good, some may be bad. Um, And so it is with the way that we treat God. Uh, And this is what we have seen happen in the servant songs of Isaiah. Uh, Because of Israel's wicked and distorted behavior, and in their betrayal to God, God lays out his judgment and sends them into exile to lose everything. Their home, their land, their freedom. But even though God lays out his judgment, God also promises that he will save them through his servant, who is unlike Israel and deeply trusts in God and is obedient to him even when he faces abuse and humiliation. And so as we come to the last servant song, uh, we are finally told how this servant will save them. But the way that he achieves this is unexpected. Because just in the chapters before the servant song, God paints an image of a very, very powerful victory where he will put everyone in their place. But as we come to the fourth servant song, we see that this victory doesn't actually come in form of a powerful army overthrowing the Babylonians. But it comes in form of this servant who suffers on their behalf, bearing their consequences of their wicked ways and feeding Israel's greatest problem, the problem of sin. So as we unpack uh, this servant song, we're going to be hit with the reality of the consequences of sin, but see the amazing and unimaginable way that the servant is victorious. So looking from chapter 52, verse 13, God starts off by giving us a glimpse into the servant's future. He tells us that the servant will be exalted in victory. But the servant isn't like anyone we may have expected. God tells us that the world is abhorred by him and the kings were silenced because God's servant experienced great suffering that rendered him looking like anything but human. But his marred and disfigured forms wasn't the glorious battle scars that marked great battles or showed how ferocious he was. Because the rest of the song tells us that the servant will be persecuted beyond imagination. And isn't that just mind-boggling to just picture that in our minds for a second? The servant who will bring God's powerful victory is going to be a servant that's going to be so beat up that he won't resemble a human being. And this is the message that that the narrator of Isaiah actually calls everyone to believe in. And so as the song continues, it doesn't actually shy away from this, uh, this reality as it paints to us 
very graphically more about the servant's persecution. In chapter 53, verse 2, we are told that the servant is like one who grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. We are told that the servant isn't the charismatic leader that attracts people to him. He was ignored because he didn't have credentials, he didn't have the strength, and he didn't have the looks. But instead, to the world, he was weak, unsubstantial, and had all the odds stacked against him because he had nothing around to support him. But not only was this servant ignored, the song reveals to us that the world also hated and rejected this servant. People avoided him. People despised him. And people treated him so badly that he became known as a man of suffering and that pain was just second nature. And I want to stop for a moment to let us think about that very, very carefully. God's servant became known as a man of suffering and pain would be second nature. I can't begin to fathom what it may be like to suffer so constantly that pain would just become second nature. It's like breathing. Breathing is just second nature. But for God's servant, pain was second nature. But why was his victory over sin marked with such great suffering? We're reading from verse 4. This is what it says. Surely he took up our pains and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. You see, the reason why the servant had to suffer was because he bore Israel's wrongdoing. The consequences of Israel's bad decisions as they lived life how they wanted and continued to betray God's trust was all laid out onto the servant as he stepped in front of Israel and substituted himself in their place to be crushed, to be pierced, and so that Israel would no longer have to face their consequences. And this is the mind-sobering reality of sin. Sin may just seem like a foreign concept to us, but God shows that in sin that there are consequences. And if undealt with, the consequences will be poured out onto the world just as it was poured out to Israel. And the narrator realizes this reality in verse 6. He says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know if you're familiar with Colin Buchanan, uh, but he has released this, a song based on this verse called Ba Ba Do Ba Ba. Um, I'm not going to sing it, uh, but every time I read this verse, and even when I read it now, um, I can't actually help but sing it in my head. It kind of flows very, very easily. Uh, my mind kind of thinks about uh, the countless times I've seen little children follow these dance, little cute moves, pretending that they're sheep, um, oblivious to what the verse is saying. Uh, 
But this is not the image that we're having on display here. The image that we have to remember is that God's servant substitutes himself in the place of Israel to bear the consequences of their actions, to be pierced and to be crushed, to receive the punishment Israel deserved. But not only is the servant hated, not only is he rejected, pierced, and then crushed, the servant is also oppressed and afflicted by the world and is ultimately led to his death. He was led like an innocent lamb to be killed, to be slaughtered. You see, the servant in dealing with the consequences of Israel's wicked and distorted living is killed on their behalf. Yet we are told that the servant was silent and didn't open his mouth. He didn't try to sweet talk his way out, nor did he try to protest against how he was being treated. And what is mind-boggling is that in verses 8 and 9, it tells us the world killed him, labeling him as a wicked man, even though this servant had done nothing wrong. You see, the servant in the eyes of the world moves from being seen as weak, unattractive, to being rejected and despised, to be oppressed and afflicted, then to be killed as a wicked man, all because the servant deals with the consequences of Israel's sin. But was this really God's plan of rescue and victory? It's already crazy enough to learn that God would let his servant take on Israel's consequences for their bad decision. But surely letting his servant be dragged off and killed as a wicked man is too far, right? But here's the unexpected answer. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, the world, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You see, God's plan didn't somehow go out of hand. He didn't lose control. But instead, this was always God's plan. To let the world take his servant away, to, to be despised and rejected, abused, killed, labeled as a wicked man. Because this is the only way sin can be dealt with. Sin can only be dealt with by death. You see, back in the times of the ancient Israelites, God had instructed them to offer the best of the best of their livestock to God as a burnt sacrifice, as a way for them to atone for their sin. And this was actually very, very costly to them. And they actually had to constantly do this because these animal sacrifices was actually never designed to be enough to deal with their sin. But the offering of the servant's life is different. In the horrendous treatment of the servant and in his death, sin is defeated once and for all. Because in his death... He bore and dealt with all of Israel's sin. But we're also told that the servant will not stay crushed and pierced forever. God says that he will raise his servant back to life 
and that the servant will be satisfied in his work because in his suffering, in his death, the consequences of their wicked and distorted ways has been dealt with. You see, the servant isn't exalted because he was strong and mighty. The servant is exalted because he was obedient even to death, letting his life be that costly offering for sin. And this is the paradox of God's plan of rescue. God saves people from their sins by sending his own servant to deal with it through his death. God uses his servant that no one likes, that is weak and unattractive, to obtain a powerful victory over sin, even though to the world it seems like it has failed. You see, God's victory isn't like a Rocky movie uh, where Rocky barely makes it through victory. But instead, God paradoxically uses the death of his servant to totally, utterly, without any resistance to defeat sin. You see, the servant's mission, as we looked at in the first week, was to rescue and restore the world. But it wasn't a rescue and restoration that the Israelites would have expected. The servant's mission is characterized by suffering as he substitutes himself to deal with the consequences of sin. But you see, just as sin is a problem for Israel, the reality is, whether we like to hear it or not, is that we are all sinners, and that we are all like sheep who have gone astray, living a distorted way of life. And this is the deep, deep, deep problem for us all. Because we are like Israel and are deserving of our consequences. So not only is this song about the servant bearing the weight and the consequences of Israel's sin, but it's also about God's servant bearing the weight and consequences of our sin. In the New Testament, it is revealed to us who this servant is. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was in perfect relationship with him, came down from the heavens to be man so that he can substitute his life for our life. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus approaching him, says this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, on our behalf, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the lamb that is led to the slaughter. He bears our punishment. He takes on our consequences as we turn our backs to God and betray him to live distorted lives. Jesus, the lamb of God, the one who did no wrong, stood in our place to be crushed and to be pierced. Jesus, the lamb of God, the one who did no wrong, is executed and is condemned as a wicked Man, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is beaten, mocked, scorned, and pinned onto that horrific cross. You see, God sends Jesus to do the unimaginable. He sends Jesus to bear the consequences of our sin. 
Jesus bears death onto his shoulders and he dies for us when we deserve death. In Romans 5, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sheep who have gone astray, God sends his son to be taken by the world and to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And here's the thing. He does this not because we deserved it. He does this because he loves us. Even though we are unfaithful, even though we are living lives that are distorted, even though we rebel against God, God pours out his love as he sends the one whom he loves to die for us, rescuing us from sin. You see, sin is the greatest problem that we all face. And Jesus is the one who comes to fix it. And whether it be your first time hearing about it, or whether it be your hundredth time hearing about Jesus, just like how the fourth servant song calls, who has believed our message, it asks us today to consider whether we believe his message, the message of Jesus who comes to deal with the consequences of our rebellion against God. Because this message isn't only going to affect us today, it's not going to affect us tomorrow, in a week, a month, or a year, or 10 years from now. This is a message that's going to affect us for eternity. Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes again, we are going to stand before God, and we'll either stand with Jesus, the one who bears our sins on his shoulders, or stand in front of God who will pour out the judgment we deserve. God calls all of us to believe in him and rely on his servant. But for those, for those of us who have believed in the message and who would call themselves Christians, can I encourage to let the servant song penetrate our hearts? and be a somber reminder to us all about the costliness of dealing with the problem of sin. I believe that it's so easy to think, I believe in Jesus, but not really understand the weight of what Jesus has achieved on the cross. I believe it's so easy for us to forget just what the consequences are for our rebellion against God. And that when we think about sin, it's just normal and harmless. Our sin, our rebellion, our distorted and wicked living is all poured out onto Jesus so that we don't have to experience our wrongdoing. It's on our behalf that Jesus is pierced and is crushed and nailed onto that cross so that we don't have to experience what he went through. This is God's paradox of victory over sin. It's not one that we may have expected, but it's definitely the one that we need. God sends the one he loves to die for the ones who fail to love him so that we do not have to face the crushing and piercing pain Jesus faced.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. And that even though when we were still sinners, that you loved us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and that it's through him our sins are forgiven. We're sorry for our rebellion and for our wicked ways, so forgive us, Lord, for when we fail. And let us remember the horrors of sin, but stand in awe as we remember the costliness of forgiveness. Help us to never lose sight of the cross and to never forget the pain of suffering that your perfect son experienced on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.